You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 Network. You're listening to episode 300 and I'm your host, Brittany Martin. 300. I am absolutely thrilled to be saying this. I want to take a moment to thank everyone who has made this possible. The 5x5 Network, all of the past Review on Rails podcast hosts, the guests, our sponsors, and of course you, the wonderful listeners of this podcast. Today I'm welcoming back Nick to talk about what is on our minds as we celebrate episode 300 and the end of the year. Hey Nick, how are you? I'm fantastic. And yeah, it's just, thanks for having me on for this monumental episode. I'm sure it's the same with you, but from the beginning of my career, which was really only five or so years ago, I was a always been a, a avid listener of the podcast, and it's it's much older. I think 2008 or nine, it first came out. So it's such a big part of the community history, and this is a great milestone. So thanks for all you've done with the podcast as well. I really appreciate that, Nick. It kind of makes me uh, a bit sentimental to think about it because I agree with you. I listened to the podcast as I was learning to code. I actually remember a specific moment in time where I was on an elliptical and listening to Sean talk about Ember and working with Rails together. And so the the podcast is definitely a special place in my heart. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's the, all those voices over the years. You just kind of remember hearing them in your head or like on your walk to work or your commute or your exercise or, or whatever. And it's uh, and if in, in any name that you see, like the names that have been on this podcast is pretty much everyone, even people who aren't with us anymore. Like, so that's kind of enshrined forever. So here's to 300 more, right? Agreed. 300 more. So I've been sitting down and really been thinking about some New Year's resolutions that I want to make. And that being said, I'm not a huge New Year's resolution person. But, um, you know, 2020 is upon us and there are a couple goals, both professional, personal, fitness related goals that I have. But um, I'd love to share a couple professional ones that I am working on. So the first one is that I overall want to improve the podcast. I've been the host for roughly 50 episodes, which is great. But I know that the audio could use some help. And so I'm investing in new equipment. I'm going to be preparing a guide to help guests really improve their um, their audio recording experience because I want to make sure that the podcast is fun and easy to listen to regardless if you're in the car, if you're on the subway, if you're coding at work, whatever it is, I want to make sure that the podcast is high quality. That's awesome. Like, And I think especially that idea about, you know, since you have different guests every week, you know, some podcasts are only the same one or two people. Um, having that guide will make it really slick and, and get people with, you know, the best audio quality on their end as well. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And you, you can tell when you listen to podcasts. Obviously, I think this has sounded fantastic, but, but still, I, I know what you mean. So that's great. Oh, for sure. And then on content front, I want to make sure that I'm continuing to vary the content. So I've had a lot of famous people in the Ruby and Ruby on Rails community onto the podcast, while also bringing on new voices of people who have never been on a podcast before. A good example is the Cover My Meds episode that was episode 299. That was both Alex and Anne's uh, first chance at a podcast. And that really makes me happy because Alex came up to me at RubyConf and, you know, said how much he liked the podcast. And I offered to have him as a guest. And he quickly said, why me? I don't have anything to say. 
And listeners, if you listen to 299, Alex clearly did have something to say. And so I want to continue to bring on more voices that are new from the community while continuing to, you know, uh, paying respect to the legacy of the people who are already here. Yeah, that's really great to, to use your platform in that way, because we all know we've been there, you know, when you're a Rubyist for maybe even a really long time, and you've never even submitted a CFP to it a talk or spoken at a meetup or been on a podcast, you know, if you just have that one person who kind of shows you the way and you get in, like, this isn't scary. This is just a conversation, isn't it? And um, once you've done it the first time, that's probably, you know, every, the next time is going to be at least half as scary, right? And Or maybe a quarter or a third. And then before you know it, you're uh, going on a podcast or applying for a conference uh, without even thinking about it. So that's great for the community. I couldn't agree more. And I, like I said, I've done about 50 episodes and have been a guest on several other ones. And I can tell you that I get a little bit nervous every time I hit that record button. And so I often have to assure guests that, you know, it, it gets easier, but you know, it is scary when you think about the amount of people that are listening and it is a, a time capsule. So, you know, my roughest uh, podcast that I have recorded will, you know, live in infamy. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just, you realize there's things that you do every day that you would have been just as scared about. You know, I mean, I was probably way more scared about driving a car for the first time than my first ever, you know, podcast or talk, but you just, you, you forget, you get in, into your comfortable place, but that's kind of part of our job, right? We're, we're at a stage in the community where if we see somebody who, who has a lot to offer, or really everyone does, and just get their voice out there, then we can continue to grow the community, which makes Ruby so awesome. I so agree. So another resolution that I'm working on is that my work uh, over the last couple years, ever since I haven't been a boot camp instructor, has been pretty much closed sourced. And so it's a goal for me this year to create an open source library that is used by the Ruby community. And we talked in past episodes, Nick, about how I've been doing a lot of work with Google Pay and Google Wallet, and there really isn't a gem out there to help people. And so this is something that I have decided I'm, I'm going to push forward with. Oh, wow. So, so this is uh, Google Pay. You're going to move forward with the open source uh, tech on, on that particular uh, API or library? Yes, that's what I'd like to do because we are getting ready at the trust to unveil mobile ticketing in Q1. So the ability to be able to save your tickets into Apple or Google Wallet. Apple Wallet has a gem called Passbook out there already, which we're using. But Google Pay, I had to write completely from the ground up. There isn't any sort of open source library out there for the Ruby community. And so I think that would be a useful thing because I think Google Pay is just going to continue to take off. I always felt like the best gems or, or libraries were the ones that you say, wait, that doesn't already exist. And that would be one that say, wait, that doesn't already exist. So that would be a massive uh, help for the community. Well, you've been an inspiration to me in that uh, respect, Nick, because you are so readily happy to put out things into the community. And I just want to get, I, I just want to be more like you. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, I, I try. And it's, it's one of those things that, um, even if like work's going really well and I'm doing really interesting things at uh, work with Ruby and Rails, uh, I do feel like this little like, you know, people who yearn to do rock climbing or surfing or whatever. For me, I feel that kind of pull towards, oh, have I have I written any, you know, useful blog posts recently or have I, have I done a PR that helped somebody or even just little stuff? It, it 
you know, I don't know what it would be, maybe 10 to 25%. I would love to dedicate to that sort of stuff, but it always feels like there's not enough time. Agreed. <laughs> Lastly, um, my last resolution that I'm working towards, and this one's a scary one and one that I even considered not even saying on the podcast, but I would really like to be invited to keynote a conference. I've done several speaking engagements in the Ruby and Rails community over the last couple of years, and keynoting is a big goal for me. I have no idea if I have the skills and abilities at this point to be a keynote speaker, but it's good to have a goal to be able to hit. That would be amazing. I mean, I've heard three of your talks. You've given a fair few talks at like the big um, known Ruby conferences and, and a bunch of other ones, you know, globally. So I think Obviously, I'm super biased, right? But I think you make, you make a fantastic keynote. And I, if any of the organizers are listening, word up, reach out to Brittany, because that would be awesome. I think a big part of becoming a keynote speaker is having that niche. And I think I'm still working on that. So like, what is my specific niche in the community? What can I be proficient at and really be an authority at is something that I really need to focus on. And I think would prep me to be a better keynote speaker. I've never thought about that, but I guess, yeah, if you look at some of the keynotes for the last decade, like they, there would be like, okay, for example, Aaron, you know, right. So he'd, he has his little like wedge that is his wedge and he's also spoken a bit, uh, for a bit. So yeah, that's, that's a very lofty goal. And I, you know, we're, we're all going to support you as well. All the best. I appreciate that. So what's new with you, Nick? Well, uh, since we last spoke, I, uh, released a, um, a little blog post on a little bit of, of work that I'd done. So uh, Penelope Fippen, who's a Rubyist, I, what I'd call a famous Rubyist, uh, has been working and she talked about in the, on the Yak Shave podcast when it was going, I think it's still kind of there, but not, not as updated. Um, Ruby format, or which is what she said it ought to be called, but a lot of people might call it Ruby Fumpt. Um, and it's based off of GoFumpt which is uh, a f auto formatter and go, I don't write any go. I just know this from the, the podcast. And essentially whenever you save, it auto formats your go code to look how it ought to look. So say on the simple side, say you have like an indent that's a bit off, uh, but on the more complex side, say you're doing something that is like, would be a RuboCop violation or something. It just auto, but it's a bit, it's a bit more involved than that. And I've been following her, her tweets over the last you know months on improving it and making it better. And then one day I decided, I want to use this. So I went in and I found out that uh, there wasn't any plugins for it on Atom. And there still aren't. But uh, there are uh, guides in the, in the GitHub repo on how to use it. So basically, like think really deep down just running a command from the command line against a Ruby file and it will do it for you, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I decided I wanted to be able to use this in Atom on the fly. So I wrote a little blog post on that. And really the long and short of it is I, I can send it to you for the show notes. But uh, it was using another uh, uh, Atom plugin, which runs terminal commands on save, but you determine what commands they are, setting that up. And then every time you hit, you know, command S or control save, it'll update your file. And it's really interesting. In fact, recently I used it against... Um, I don't know if you've seen many of those like Ruby Code Golf um, files or I have. Yeah, so where people try and do things in as few characters as possible, they're basically unreadable. It's a skill that has no practical use, but it's for 
you know, to improve yourself as a programmer. I found it really interesting to put that file in and run it against Ruby Phone. And it, it, that those ones might break at the moment. It's still, you know, very much in development, but it would break it out from this like three line nightmare into like actually a, a 70 or 80 line uh, full program. So it's very, very refined, but, you know, note from the uh, a maintainer that it's still early stages and a lot of work is being put into it. I, I am nowhere near the technical ability to understand how you would write something that would rearrange Ruby code like that. That's amazing. I definitely want to take some time and look through the source code. So essentially you created an Atom plugin to use this library? An existing one. I can't remember the exact name. I, I put it in the blog post called, I think something like save commands. And all it is, is you put in a, a particular JSON config file in your directory with the, with the uh, uh, plugin enabled. And then you just okay. list in a line all the terminal commands you want to run after you save. So then I'd put in the manual command for, for the terminal uh, for, to run uh, RubyFumped. And then when I hit the save, it, it triggers via the plugin the command, and it does it right there in the editor. It's you know still got a few things, like when you save, it takes you to the top of the view again, which can be annoying if you're in a big file. But it's a start. And I'll be honest, if I had the time, you talk about giving back, I would love to write my own plugin. I already started looking at the docs on Atom, and it does actually seem doable, even if you aren't, I think, a lot of JavaScripts in there. doesn't matter. I think it's quite user-friendly, and I think it might actually be doable. So it might be something that I look forward to in the future as well. That's so interesting. And yes, the Atom community is definitely growing. I know right now the, you know, there's always a gold rush as to some new tool coming out and everyone rushing to be the first to create a tool for it. I feel that's currently happening with VS Code just because it's taking off so well. And so, so many people are racing forward to do that, but the Atom community feels very supported. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, you know what, maybe I should have looked at that because I would, I use Atom obviously mostly, so I'm using the tools with, with, with my toolkit. But I have used VS Code, and I didn't even look to see if they had support for it. I mean, there's support in Vim and everything, but I have not looked in VS Code because I definitely whipped that editor out to, to play with it more. We're going to take a quick word from our sponsor. This episode of the 5x5 Ruby on Rails podcast is sponsored by Mirror Placement. Hi, this is Brian Mariani, founder of Mirror Placement, the Ruby on Rails-focused recruiting firm. I was Brittany's guest on this podcast a few months ago and loved hearing from so many of you following that appearance. So I'm back to say hi because the new year is often a time developers start looking for a new change or a fresh start, and uh, that can often be a job change. So if you're open to connecting, I'd be happy to share the inside scoop on how the Rails job market is shaping up for 2020. Spoiler alert, it's looking very strong. And uh, we have a lot of remote roles as well, more than ever, actually. And uh, I'm super excited about our remote roles. So if that fits your lifestyle well, we should definitely chat. And you know what? Even if you're not looking for a job right now or it's not a good time, no worries at all. I'd still love to connect and learn more about you. So when the time is right and the right company does cross my desk, we can send it your way in the future. I've always said you know, recruiting is all about long-term relationships and not pressuring people. So if you'd like to start a new conversation or rekindle an old one, I'd be thrilled to chat. Just shoot me an email at brian at mirrorplacement.com and we can set something up. Thanks for listening and happy holidays. 
So I've been very VS Code heavy just because, and I think the listeners have caught this from other episodes, is that my MacBook had failed out. And so because my organization is so Windows heavy, I decided I was going to give Windows a try. And uh, I can give an update on that story. So I've been on Windows. Yeah, I've been on Windows for about three months, uh, and it's been okay. Uh, you know, I've been using Bash for Windows, Wizzle 2, um, using Linux, and been using VS Code as my editor. Um, I had someone from the help desk come over and take a look at my computer the other day because it was running really slowly. And as it turns out, my Windows machine was not set up properly within my work organization. And so they're basically going to have to wipe it and do it over again. <laughs> which is terrible because I had gotten my local um, setup pretty well stabilized. And so the broken MacBook has been sitting on my desk and I finally brought it to Apple uh, just the other day. And so I will be receiving it back with a new SSD card and logic board. Um, and so I might just cross back onto my MacBook where I'm at, I'm at an impasse right now <laughs> because either way I'm going to have to reset up everything. So I might just go back to the Mac environment because it's where I'm the most comfortable. That's, you know what, that is a, if I was in your position, that'd be a knife's edge because, you know, if you're in a situation where you have to start from scratch, which is hard enough, like yes. setting up a new yes. laptop, even when you intend to, right, is hard. Um, but then you have two sides you have the the mac world which is historically like oh this is a known world for me but then you have the windows world which is but i've actually been working on this for three months you know like this is my most recent one um that sounds tricky i think a very similar timing to you um i think dhh had a post that he was given the windows environment a go for a while as well well, it, it certainly helped when Scott Hanselman came out with the article, which is in a past uh, Ruby on Rails episode, and we'll link that in the show notes, um, where he came out with an article where he said Windows, uh, Ruby on Rails on Windows can't just be done, it can be fabulous. And he's, he's right, like it, it absolutely can be done. Unfortunately for me, I was outfitted with a machine in a kind of emergency situation with very low RAM, very low memory, and so all these processes that I'm running in order to get my development machine going has been kind of trying for that machine. And so basically my options are is to get a new Windows machine outfitted with correct hardware that I really should be using and then reset it up or go back to my MacBook, which we know was tried and true. I've just had very weird issues with Mac in the past. And the fact that I'm in an organization that doesn't really want me on a Mac kind of make things uh, a little bit difficult. Gosh, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a tough one, isn't it? Um, and the, the other thing I'd think of is, you know, I, I haven't tried one. I, I started out on a Windows machine. I used uh, some weird tooling back in like 2014 to do Rails only on, on Windows. And it was, it was quite painful. So I'm, I'm guessing that the setup now would be a lot more slick. Um, I wonder if, like, you know, obviously not knowing and not having worked on Windows in years, you know, sometimes I get these bizarre Mac-specific errors, but I know if I search for it on Stack Overflow, there'll be a large community that will probably run into this crazy thing. How is the uh, Windows community uh, support for, for running into those, you know, funky errors that you see once in your life? That is such a good question. And usually in the past with Mac, you're right, I was able to Google those errors and be able to get them very quickly. With Windows, because so many different ecosystems can be out there and the, the errors aren't as specific, 
it's harder to nail down. The difference for me is when I was having an issue on my Mac in the past, our IT department just really doesn't know anything about Mac, but they live and breathe Windows. So when I have a Windows issue, they are so fast to solve it. And so it's really, again, going back into that gray area. Do I want my support from internal or do I want my support externally? So I was, I was thinking about this because uh, recently I didn't have a, a full machine to set up, but I did uh, go through finally the Catalina uh, upgrade on Mac. And I don't, I was work on an older machine of mine. I don't want to even say what version it was on, you know, one of those ones. And, uh, and also the same week I decided to fully... Uh, set up a completely new uh, Rails app at the same time. So that was that was a week of pain for two reasons, right? Because the upgrade, uh, Catalina went from, oh, what was it, Bash to ZSH, which I'd not, not worked with, but like everybody seems to, and, uh, and all these other little things. So it's, I would say I wouldn't recommend doing a new, like, enterprise, well, not enterprise, but massive old Rails app set up on a local machine as well as a complete machine upgrade at the same time. But, um, well, well, I want to invite our listeners, if you have any opinions as to what I should do, feel free to tweet me, uh, Britt J. Martin, or you can shoot me an email, brittany.jill.martin at gmail.com, and I will link all of that in the show notes. But I definitely want to hear opinions on this because it is, I feel like I can't go really wrong. It's just whether or not I'm optimizing my development environment. So if anybody has opinions, please send them to me. That is a really good idea. The community will probably have some fantastic feedback on that. Completely agreed. So I do have something uh, exciting to share. And Nick, you probably already know this, but I got accepted as a speaker at Paris RB, uh, which is really exciting because uh, I have been wanting to come back to Europe. And I have to thank you, Nick, because Nick had tweeted out uh, a list of European Ruby conferences inviting uh, speakers who spoke at Isle of Ruby last year, uh, or is that two years ago? Oh my God, I think that was two years ago, uh, <laughs> back to Europe. And Paris was closing, I think, their CFP in about 10 days. And there is a talk that I've been wanting to give. And so I figured, you know, what the hey, I'll, I'll go ahead and apply and just see what happens. Wow, that's, that's amazing. Like, I remember, I only did that tweet because... Um... I was trying to do my schedule for 2020 because really, if you're booking flights and and spending money on tickets and everything, uh, you you want you need to look at conferences quite ahead of time. And there there's not a resource that just had it, so I just started researching, 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 and then yeah, just posted it up there on Twitter, and I, the response was pretty good. And I'm so glad you applied. That's going to be amazing. And and uh, Paris RVs, it's a pretty legit conference in Europe, so that's going to be uh, a really good time. I immediately downloaded Duolingo because I did take French in high school, <laughs> but I definitely needed a refresher. So I'm on a current 16-day shrink on Duolingo. I am pleased that some of my high school knowledge is coming back. My goal is not obviously to be fluent when I get to Paris, which is only about seven weeks away, is just to be able to, you know help me and my boyfriend navigate where we need to go and just make sure that we're paying respect to the culture there. I'm just excited to meet French Rubyists and be able to learn some of those key words from the Ruby community in French, which probably will translate directly to English, but you never know. So <laughs> maybe the French word for enumerable is something different. So, <laughs> one, Is it a single track one day? I don't remember how that one was organized. 
Yeah, good question. So it is a two-day conference. Tickets are on sale now for sure. So definitely get yours if you're interested. It is 20-minute talks, single track, and it's a TED Talk style um, approach, which I haven't done a memorized presentation in quite some years. I did an Ignite Talk about three years ago, and that was standing on stage every five minutes. Your slide would auto-rotate. So I'm sorry, it was a five-minute talk. Every 20 seconds, your slides would auto-rotate. And so you needed to have everything memorized and have your timing down down pat. I took a different approach to preparing for this talk because I'm actually spending my holiday break just making sure I'm ready to go on this one. For RubyConf, I wrote out all of my slides ahead of time and then filled in the content to make one cohesive script. This one, I'm actually writing out the entire script and then I'm going to make my slides. And from what I've seen so far, the writing out the script ahead of time is really helping me bring the talk together in a better way. How do you normally approach uh, writing a talk? Yeah, I I think weirdly it lends for me similar uh, format to like when I was in college uh, writing certain pieces of coursework because what I do is I'd write kind of a theme of a few bullet points. So, you know, obviously the intro and outro, but um, I think what are like the, the main, what's the main thesis in, that I'm trying to get along? Like the, the 30,000 foot. All right, what are, what are like three to eight um, stories or bits of information or anecdotes or examples that I can use? So if it's really code heavy, it might be like ways of writing things or like it might go A bug leads to B bug leads to C bug. And then I've never gone full script, though I, I don't have anything against it. I just think I personally probably lend more to slides first and then kind of practicing it. But then slides get removed, added, and tweaked after every practice. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. there'd be something where, like, actually, that story is really boring when I say it out loud. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Or, or oh, I have a lot more to say on that. I'll, I'll add to that. Um but that's that's uh, really interesting. So when you say, just for the listeners and also for me a little bit, when you say it's TED Talk style, what are kind of the rules on that format? Like, what's the structure there? So that's a good question, Nick. So basically, the idea is that TED style talks are delivered without notes from memory. So you need to have this down pat, and it almost needs to be a conversation with the audience where you just seem completely at ease. You don't have any cue cards or anything that you can fumble with. It's just supposed to look like you're almost addressing the audience with these profound type thoughts that you have. But that being said, they are professionally visualized, which means you you created slides to go with this. And I'm sure you want to be holding one of those slide advancers so that way you're in control of that and you don't constantly have to recycle back to your computer in order to move forward. Okay, so you're not completely out, out on a, a limb. You might have... You know, your slide might have something about it that kind of cues in your brain, like, okay, this is where I'm where I'm moving as you go from slide to slide as well. So it's, it's not a completely un, unaided talk. I know you're right. It, it's supposed to come across as scripted, polished, well-designed, well-produced. And the, the idea is that they ultimately will edit down into just a very beautiful presentation, which I expect nothing less from Paris RB. So <laughs> kind of fits with uh, with the whole French culture, I believe. 
I remember with the Ruby community, because we first met at Isle of Ruby here in the UK, and I think a fair few of those uh, speakers or members might be there as well. So this might be a, a fun opportunity to also see some Rubyists that you've known for quite a while. That would be amazing. It would be really cool to have a reunion of people that I've met in the Ruby community uh, in an entirely different continent. I, I had a little bit of that with RubyConf, but I imagine we'll see a lot more international speakers um, at Paris RB. That is episode 300, part one. Stay tuned for part two next week and happy holidays.